0: You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. We've got three selected passages uh, from the book of Romans. First is Romans 8, verse 14 to 16. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And a bit further down from verse 28 to 30. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. And Romans 10, verse 14 to 15. How then? Can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news.
1: Great. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, If I haven't met you before, my name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at, at DPC. Uh, normally our kind of practice at DPC is that we tend to preach through books of the Bible, kind of section by section. Uh, but if you're arriving at DPC today for the first time, uh, you're experiencing what we do about, around about once a year. We, we tackle a, a particular topic from the Bible in a more kind of thematic approach. Uh, and so that means two things. One, uh, it might be helpful for you to follow along in, uh, with the sermon outline that you can find on the welcome card uh, that Martine mentioned just before via our website. And two, if you've got a Bible, it'd be really helpful to have that open in front of you. There might be some Bibles if you don't have one uh, floating around on the welcome hub at the back. If not, let us know. We'd love to get you a Bible. We'll be jumping around a few different passages, so it might be helpful to follow along. But as we start this uh, new series called A Place to Belong, Martin mentioned that you might be wondering, well, what's the purpose of this series? And in summary, the purpose of this series is to help us to see the local church, in particular our church, as God sees it. So not to look at our church through the eyes of the world around us, or even through our own eyes, which both might sometimes have a a bit of a distorted picture of what the church is, Uh, but to look at our church, this local church, in all its good stuff and bad stuff, and sometimes a little ugly stuff, uh, through the eyes of God, to see our church as God sees it. And we're doing this because I reckon we need to be reminded of at least four things. Or you can see them there on the outline. Uh, I'm sure you could think of other things that we need to be reminded for, but at least these four things, we need to be reminded of the necessity of the local church, uh, we live uh, in, a, in a fairly individualistic culture, uh, and when it comes to Christianity, it can be easily think that, uh, easy to think that if you are a Christian, uh, that it's primarily about you and Jesus. And I reckon that's been reinforced with the kind of growth of the internet, and in particular during the pandemic, most churches are meeting online. Uh, and so you might be tempted to say, well, my relationship, my kind of Christian faith is primarily between me and Jesus, and I can get better preachers than Aaron at home, and I can get better music than these guys at home. So why not just do church at home by myself? But we've got to be reminded in our context of the necessity Of the local church that's the first thing Uh, second we've got to be reminded of the significance of the local church all right but by and large in our culture uh, the church is increasingly considered to be outdated to be insignificant if not to be actually a toxic influence in our world something that's oppressive but in that culture we do have to be reminded that in God's eyes a little local church like ours has a central place of significance in God's plans and purposes in his world. We've got, to, we've got to remember that. A third, we've got to be reminded of the community of the local church. Our culture is increasingly fragmented, you know, I go to the supermarket, I don't actually speak to a person anymore, I I just zip, you know, do my groceries by myself with a little machine, you know, we're increasingly, some of you perhaps live in a house where you just kind of drive in and have an internal door into your house, you don't have to talk to any neighbours, it's a wonderful, no, it's not that good, is it? Like, it's an increasingly fragmented society that we live in, and that's just been exacerbated with uh, the, the whole thing of the pandemic I'm sure many of you, particularly if you live by yourself, or maybe in a share house with people that you actually don't know that well, and it's been an incredibly discouraging and lonely and disconnected time, you've got to be reminded that if you're a Christian, the church, our church I hope, is the place where you belong, it's the place where you have a place of love and comfort and rest where others would embrace you and encourage you. We've got to be reminded of the community of the church. And fourth, uh, we've got to be reminded of the purpose of the church. I've just said some of us feel really discouraged and disconnected and lonely. Uh, Our prayer is that this series would offer you real comfort and love, uh, a sense of of connection to this, your local church. But, But others perhaps feel so loved and comfortable and connected in our church that you've kind of lost sight of our great purpose of our church, to see as many people as possible coming to know our Lord Jesus. So you've gotten into a phase of your Christian life where you find it really hard for your comfort in the life of our church to be disrupted in any way for the sake of our great purpose of seeing people come to know Jesus. So as we go through this series, we're going to nudge one another to remember our great purpose as our church, and to embrace at some cost, some sacrifice for the sake of pressing on with that mission. So that, that's kind of the big picture purpose of this series, that we would see our little local church, uh, that we would see our church through God's eyes. So I'm going to pray before we launch into today's topic. Uh, we are called, let's pray, please pray with me. Uh, Gracious Father, we uh, do long to see the church, our church, as you see it, in a way that is shaped uh, by your word. Uh, And so we pray, Father, that you would watch over us this day as we think about this topic of how you have called us, Uh, but each week of this series, uh, that you would be achieving your purposes uh, in our lives individually uh, and in particular as a community. Uh, We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, I understand that lots of phone calls we get are insignificant. I'm sure you've experienced this. It's not that significant if you get a call from a telemarketer or a political survey, unless you're a uh, a kind of political junkie. Uh, You don't get that excited about the political survey call. Uh, It's not that significant to get a call from a fraudster trying to steal your money, unless, of course, they do trick you, as they've done for me. Uh, I know that's happened uh, for a couple of other people here. But Those calls, by and large, are insignificant. Why? Well, because, by and large, they don't change your life, your purpose, or your identity. But other calls are very significant. I'm sure some of you have got a call from a family member to say that someone you love has died. But that's a life-changing phone call, isn't it? A significant call. I remember getting a call from my eye specialist. Right, to say that, Aaron, you do have that degenerative eye condition, and one day you'll go blind. That was a really life-changing call for me. It's really impacted on my sense of identity and purpose in life. Maybe you've had a similar call from a doctor at some point. Or maybe you've got a call from a new employer or boss letting you know that you've finally got that dream job that you've always wanted, or the job that really has changed your life, right? So lots of calls are insignificant, but some calls are very significant. They change your life and your purpose and your identity. And what we're looking at today is the wonderful reality that we as a church, the people of God, haven't just been called by a doctor or a family member or someone offering us a new job, we've been called by God himself, And that call by God on our lives has changed our life and purpose and identity. God's call on our life brings us into a new identity, being his children who call on him as our father, and it brings us into a new activity, a new purpose for our lives. As we give our lives to sharing the good news about Christ, that others might also call on God as father. So that's where we're headed, a new identity, a new activity, because of God's call in our life. Now, at point three in the sermon outline, you'll see, before we get into that stuff, I do just want to talk briefly about the meaning of the word church in the Bible, because it's actually a little bit connected to this idea of how we've been called together as God's people. And Maybe some of you have heard before that the word church in the Bible is the Greek word ecclesia. Now, I don't normally uh, bang on with Greek terms, but it's kind of useful uh, for understanding this idea that we're a community of being called by God. On one level, this word ecclesia, which is a general term, could refer to any assembly of people at all. So later on, you can read Acts 19, Acts 19 verse 32, there's a riotous mob in Ephesus, and they're called an ecclesia. It's not a particularly religious gathering. Uh, In fact, it's nothing like a church at all, but it's called an ecclesia. Uh, But the church takes on this idea of being an ecclesia, and that Greek word ecclesia does consist of two words, two parts, if you like. Uh, There's the part that's ek, which means out of, and the part that's kaleo, which means called. Uh, And so the idea of a church is that it's a, a community of people who have been called out of the world around us by God to be a distinctive people of God. And this is one of the key things that unites us as a church, as an ecclesia. It's that we all have a story, if you're a Christian, of being called by God, not just to be called to Christ and put your faith and trust in Him, but also be called to His people. And the other ones who have been called out of the world, But what are the characteristics of God's call and how do those characteristics shape or how should they shape our community life as those who have been called as a little ecclesia here in Thornbury? So I've got a few characteristics here. The first is that God called us through the gospel so we should be gospel people. This is where it would be great to have your Bible open. If you can flick to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 13... 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. Uh, if you don't know where that is in the Bible, uh, then, uh, hey, someone nearby to you will be eager to help you out. Just hit them up and say, where's 2 Thessalonians? 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. Paul says, But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters loved by the Lord, uh, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. So Paul's thanking God here for the Thessalonian believers uh, because he knows that they are loved by God, loved by the Lord. Why? But Because God chose them to be among the very first people to be saved. Right? This is one of the first Christian communities. And Paul knows that God chose them uh, because they were saved through the power of God's Spirit and through believing in the truth. Right? Notice that, God's Word and Spirit always working together. Or some people are like, well, this is a spirit-filled church and this is a word-filled church. No, 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 no. God's word and spirit are always working together uh, in his church. But how did God's spirit and truth work in the hearts of the Thessalonians that they might come to faith? Well, look in verse 14. Paul says, God called you to this through our gospel. That you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That The Thessalonians were saved because God called them to himself through the wonderful news of the gospel, the good news that Christ lived the life, the perfect life that none of us can live, uh, that he died the death, that we deserve to die on the cross, that he was raised to life, that we have the sure and certain hope of eternal life. the, The Thessalonians were called to salvation as they heard that wonderful news of the gospel. And what does that mean? It means that God might use all sorts of things to soften someone's heart or mind to the truth of the gospel. God might use a particular dream or a vision, a wonderful scene in creation. He might use a particular life experience that you've had, whether it be very joyful or very painful He might use great experiences of Christian community or really horrible experiences of Christian community. Like God might use all sorts of things to soften us to the truths of the gospel. But in the end, God calls us to salvation through the gospel, through the wonderful truth of what he has done for us in Christ. That's what's true of us here. And so that means as a people who have been called to God by the gospel, we should be a gospel people. Uh, A people who is centred on the gospel. Uh, A people who's on about proclaiming the gospel and building one another up with the gospel. Uh, Seeking to have a a church community and culture that is shaped by the gospel. God called us through the power of the gospel so we should be gospel people. That's the first thing. Uh, Second, God called us through the gospel irresistibly. I'll explain what that means. He called us irresistibly so we should be a thankful people. Uh, if you want to think, uh, flick back, if you're in 2 Thessalonians, you can flick back to John chapter 6, verse 37. John 6, verse 37, Jesus says, All those that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. Now, this is important because uh, I'm sure many of you, before you became a Christian, uh, felt like you were really stubbornly resisting God. you kind of digging in your heels, resisting God. And in one sense, you were resisting God. But here Jesus is saying that if God the Father has chosen to give you to him, like Christ the Son, but before the foundation of the world, uh, then you will come to Jesus. Right? That's what I mean. When I say that God calls people irresistibly, you will come. All that the Father has given me, Jesus says, will come to me. It's the same in Romans chapter 8, verse 30. That verse that one of the verses that Ben read Paul says, And those whom God predestined, he also called. They're saying that the God chose before the foundation of the world those who he was going to call, that's those he predestined, and then in time and space, at particular points in history, God calls those who he's predestined through the gospel that we just heard about. He calls them to himself in a way that they just can't resist. His call is irresistible. And this should lead us to be a people who are filled with thanks and praise to God. Uh, In 1 Peter 2 verse 9, Peter says uh, that we were a people who were walking in spiritual darkness, but but God called us out of spiritual darkness into his marvellous light for what purpose? That we might declare his praises. That was God's purpose. We should be a people who were filled with thanks and praise to God. Because we know that that apart from God irresistibly calling us to himself through the preaching of the gospel, we would still be walking in spiritual darkness, apart from the marvellous light of his presence. His presence that brings wonderful freedom and satisfaction and joy. Uh, Maybe this illustration helps. Uh, At the moment, Ada and I are reading uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, we're just kind of getting into the line the Witch and the Wardrobe. But first we read, the, you know, part one, the, the magician's nephew. Uh, and there's a wonderful scene in the magician's nephew, which I think ir- illustrates this idea of God's irresistible call. Oh, so Aslan, if you know, is kind of the Christ figure in, in, the, in the kind of Narnia series. Aslan has just founded the world of Narnia. And he calls the cabbie's wife into the land of Narnia so that she too... I can be in the light and life of his presence. And this is how it's described. It says, Aslan threw up his shaggy head, opened his mouth, and uttered a long single note, not very loud, but full of power. A Apolly's heart jumped in her body when she heard it. She felt sure that it was a call, and that anyone who heard that call would want to obey it, and what's more, would be able to obey it however many worlds and ages lay between. And so the cabbie's wife was called out of darkness, as it were, into the marvellous light and presence of Aslan to enjoy the joy and freedom of living in Narnia, even though she was worlds and ages apart. And that's a picture of becoming a Christian. Before becoming a Christian in our sin, we were worlds away from God, running away from Him. But God powerfully, irresistibly called us to himself into the marvellous light of his presence that we might know light and life and joy. But That should fill our hearts. We should be a thankful people. As we just sung, God has won our hearts. He's called us to himself. Uh, but you might have the question in your mind, why, doesn't, uh, why does God choose to irresistibly call in this wonderful way some people and not others? Surely that's not fair. Uh, and you're kind of right, it's not fair because God calls us graciously. He doesn't give us what we deserve, he gives us what we don't deserve. He shows us grace. Uh, 2 Timothy 1 verse 9, that's the next verse, 2 Timothy 1 verse 9 verse 9 Paul says our God has saved us and called us to a holy life not because of anything that we have done but because of his own purpose and grace that's why God's called us because of his grace this grace Paul says was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time my God didn't call us to himself because of anything that we have done it was about his grace not about our performance. It was a gift that we didn't deserve, not a reward that we'd earned. And Paul says it must be that way, because when did God give us this grace in Christ Jesus? Look at 2 Timothy 1 verse 9. He gave it to us before the beginning of time. That's a long time before any of us in this room had the opportunity to have a great track record to earn God calling us. God called us graciously, so we should be humble. Being a part of the church is to know that you are no better than anyone else. It's to know that you're only a part of God's people because of his goodness, not your goodness. Only because of his marvellous grace, not because of your works or performance. You were shown grace in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But you might want to know, well, how long does God call us for? I'm a big uh, fan of the NBA. Uh, If you don't know, the NBA is currently kind of in the throes of its trade and draft, kind of free agency period. It's a period in which lots of players will get calls from franchises saying, we love you, we want you, you're special to us, come and play for our team. And then, of course, within half a season, their performance drops off and the team gets rid of them. Right, and I reckon some of us sometimes wonder, is that what God is like? Sure, it's nice that he's called me to be a part of his people now, but how do I know he's not going to get rid of me if my performance drops off? Well, yeah, God isn't like that. God's called us permanently so we can be assured. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23 and 24. Paul says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. God called us to himself permanently. He's faithful to that call to the very end. Paul says, until the Lord Jesus returns and you're made completely blameless in God's sight. So NBA teams... They call people based on their performance. So when their performance drops off, they get rid of them. But God doesn't call us based on our performance. We just heard that. He shows us grace before the beginning of time. So God is faithful to his call to us. We should be secure and assured in that, confident in that. God calls us permanently so we can be assured. And that leads to the final characteristic, which is God called us eternally, So we can be hopeful. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1. If you are a quick Bible flicker, you can get to Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 18. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you might know the hope to which God has called you. I would say that the last uh, 12 or 18 months, I'm sure this is not unique to me, uh, but they've probably been some of the most discouraging in my life. Like, it's, it's been easy to be discouraged, hasn't it? To be discouraged, uh, to be a bit depressed, a bit lonely, maybe even filled with despair. And I was thinking that way. As much as that's natural and, and normal, the reality is, as we see here, I need the eyes of my heart to be enlightened so that I might see the hope to which God has called me to, called us to. What is that hope? If you've got Ephesians 1 open, you can look back at Ephesians 1 verse 10. The hope that God has called us to is the wonderful hope that one day all the broken and messed up pieces of this world and the broken and messed up pieces of our lives are going to be put back together under Christ as Lord with everything in its right place. That's the wonderful hope that we've got to look forward to. Uh, So even though it's normal and natural to be discouraged and and depressed and maybe even to be despairing at times, the reality is that no matter how bad things get in this life, as Christians, the best is always yet to come, isn't it? We know how things are going to turn out in the end and it's going to be glorious uh, when all things are put under Christ as Lord. Uh, So God called us eternally to this wonderful hope uh, so we can be hopeful. And we have this wonderful hope, this is where I want to land today, uh, because of this wonderful new identity that God has called us to, to be his children, who can call on him as our father. Uh, So it would be great, if you haven't been flicking so far, come and land in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, that'll be good good for you to follow along. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, Paul says, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, And who have been called according to his purpose. As you see there, God has a purpose in calling us. What is God's purpose? Paul explains in the next verse, verse 29, uh, that the purpose is for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. so, So God's purpose in calling us to be a part of his people is, first, that we might be conformed to the image of Christ his Son. Or that the Christ might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So God wants to expand his family. And his plan is to call people to himself. He, doesn't want, he, wants, he saves us as we are in all our sin and mess and brokenness. But then he makes us more and more like Christ, our older brother. Uh, So that we're not just in God's family, but we look like we're a part of God's family. We bear the family likeness. We look like our older brother, our Lord Jesus Christ. That's God's purpose in calling us, to invite us into his family. Uh, That's why back in chapter 8, verse 14, uh, we see the other wonderful family language. that, that Through faith in Christ, we have been adopted as God's children. Take a look back there in verse fourteen. Paul says, "For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God." I see how all that you know as Christians we believe that God is Trinity, three in one. So here Paul's saying that those who have faith in God the Son and are filled with God the Spirit are children of God the Father. We're a part of the family. So in verses 15 and 16, Paul says, The Spirit you received doesn't make you slaves so that you would live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Right? God's purpose in calling us to Himself was that we would enjoy this wonderful new identity of being His children. His children who, by the power of His Spirit, can cry out to Him as our Father. And I just want to draw out, there's lots we could say about this new identity that we have. We're going to talk about how we're family in a couple of weeks' time. But I just want to mention three things here from Romans 8, about our new identity as God's children. The first is that if you're a child of God, your relationship with God is characterized by a real freedom. If you look at verse 15 here, right? Paul says that a child of God knows that they're no longer a slave who is desperately trying to earn God's love and acceptance through their own works and obedience. That's not a child. A child of God, Paul says, is someone who delights in the fact that they already have God's love and acceptance through Christ's work and obedience on the cross. So our relationship with God is characterized by freedom, not fear. This wonderful freedom in our relationship with God, which is reinforced by the fact that we cry out to God as our Father. If you've got kids or you've got a loving dad, you might remember that for the most part, you feel free to cry out to your dad at any time of the day or night for their help. That's what my kids feel free like. Right? I just nudge Gabby and say, you know. But, like, right, this is the freedom that comes from being secure in the love of God as your father. You can cry out to him. So, our relationship with God has real freedom, our relationship with him has real affection. We cry out to him as Abba. Abba, which is an affectionate term for God, means something like dad or daddy. Which I also understand, uh, my kids uh, almost never call me father. Right? It, just, it just seems too formal, doesn't it? It's almost always dad or daddy. Which, of course, is not to say that it's wrong to call God father. Right? Jesus himself says, pray to your father who art in heaven. You know, the Lord's Prayer. It's also not to say that we should refer to God as our heavenly daddy. Personally, I think that's a little bit odd. It's not how I would address uh, my Father who is in heaven. Uh, But the point is that our relationship with God our Father should be one that has real affection and intimacy as a part of it. Not distant and disconnected, but close and affectionate and intimate. And third, our relationship with God uh, has real hope Real hope, because as sons and daughters of God, children of God, we get to share in the family inheritance. Right here, if you look in Romans chapter 8, verse 17, Romans 8, verse 17, we are heirs, Paul says, of everything that our father owns. How much does our father own? Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He's a good dad to have. You get a good inheritance if you're a child of God the Father. You get the new heavens and new earth, the whole kit and caboodle. Everything is yours because you're a son or a daughter of God. What a wonderful hope, real hope, in having this identity as God's child. That's what God has called us to. But as those who've been called to this new identity as God's child, we've also been called to that new activity of sharing the good news of the gospel with others, so that they too might call God their Father. So this is where Romans 10 comes in. Romans 10 verses 14 and 15. How then, Paul says, can they call on the one uh, of whom they haven't believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they haven't heard? And how can they hear uh, without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they have been sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news i'd say if you 're a Christian, you have a story i 'm sure of how someone has shared the good news of the gospel with you, and that you might be called to know God as your father i don 't know who it was. It might have been your parents, it might have been a Sunday school teacher, a youth group leader. A student leader in the Christian Union, a chaplain, a pastor, a colleague at work. Could have been all sorts of people. Someone was sent, as it were, whether formally or informally, to share the good news of the gospel with you, that you would hear it and believe it uh, and be brought into this relationship with God uh, where you are his child and you can call him your father. Uh, part of the, the flow of the book of Romans is that Paul here is saying that the God doesn't just want us to delight in the joy of being his children for ourselves. I mean, he, he does want us to delight in it, but he wants that delight, delight to overflow in us so that we say, I want everyone to have this experience. I want everyone to know the joy of knowing God as their heavenly father. And so you give yourself to sharing the gospel with others. Now, some of you might think, well, that just, it's a little, I'm okay with the kind of trust in Jesus bit, become a child of God bit, but this bit seems a bit intense, a bit preachy. Surely that's the thing that our culture does say is repressive and toxic when people, Christians, go around trying to proselytize others and impose their beliefs on others. But notice how God describes those who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring God news, good news. Quite sure, there are plenty of examples of how you can share the gospel in ugly ways. Or you should become a part of the team uh, that's running Life Explorer, and you'll see how to share the gospel in a beautiful way. Right? It's a great training thing. If you're concerned about sharing the gospel in ugly ways, come and talk to us. We must never be ashamed of sharing the good news about Jesus. My like God says, it's a beautiful thing, an honourable thing to share this wonderful news about the Lord Jesus Christ and call people to put their faith in him. So in some, I know lots of calls are insignificant, but some calls are really significant. They change your life, your purpose, your identity. And that's what God's call is like. It's what it means to be a part of the people of God, to have been called by God to a completely new identity where you're his child, you can call on him as your father, and a completely new activity, a new purpose for your life. And where we work together to share the gospel with others that they too might call God their father. We are a people who have been called by God and God's call changes everything. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you uh, for this wonderful truth that you have called us to yourself through the great news of the Gospel. We praise you for the new identity that you give us as your children, uh, who can cry out to you as our Father. And we pray, Father, that you would strengthen us to give ourselves to the new activity that you call us to, Uh, this purpose, this mission of sharing the Gospel with others, that they too might call you Father. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.